Hey friends, um, did some local teaching yesterday and the recording, they didn't get the first couple of minutes of my teaching, so I'm just recording it here uh, in my living room uh, on Monday morning and then when I get through the first little bit, we'll jump back over to the recording from yesterday. So, all right, let's jump in. So in my house, one of my kids really loves to have a clean room. Like, it, they feel much better. It helps their anxiety, their creativity. They just love it when their room is clean, um, except their problem is that they are terrible at keeping a clean room, like really terrible at it. Inevitably, um, it'll get cleaned, and then with, you know, day after day, week after week, it just gets messier and messier until it becomes the sort of crisis point at which they can't manage anymore, and their parents need to step in and help them to clean their room and get everything under control and back to the way it is. And they always insist that when we get to that price point, you know, there's usually tears and freaking out. And they always think, you know, big picture, like, okay, well, you need to reorganize the room, need new furniture, need to get rid of all their stuff. Like, they, their solutions are all really, really big. And we always say, well, you know, this wouldn't happen if you every day just spent a couple of minutes doing the simple things that would keep your room clean. So for example, if you just, instead of leaving your laundry on the floor when you get changed, put your laundry in the laundry basket, which is three feet away in your closet. Or instead of, you know, putting your, leaving your garbage and your wrappers and shoving them under your bed, what if you put them in the garbage can that's sitting right at the end of your bed? Or what if when you have dishes, you take them down after you're done using them and you put them in the dishwasher? Or what if, you know, you just spent a minute making your bed each morning. And if you just did those things, which probably combined in a day takes 90 seconds to two minutes. If you did all those things um, and just spent just a few minutes doing those really simple, easy things, your room would generally stay quite clean and it wouldn't become a disaster. And they're like, no, I need a new bed. I need to reorganize my room. I need to do things completely different. And we say, well, what if you tried something small and simple? Um, and so it's always this kind of back and forth of, they, you know, they really desire this really clean room, but not, um, but always preferring big solutions over the simple, small things done uh, day after day uh, that lead to the outcome that they're actually hoping for. And when I think about my child's room, I think about how there's a parallel there with our spiritual lives. I think we all... Likely, if you're listening to this um, or you're with us on Sunday, you know, you're a Jesus follower. You're interested in the Jesus way. And so you would certainly say, like, I, I, I'm a spiritual person and I would like to have what Rich Villados calls a deeply formed spiritual life. You know, a life that is um, where we have a sense of connection to God, um, peace within ourselves, a connection to our inner selves, to our souls, that our, our souls and our minds are in a good place, um, that we experience what scripture calls the fruit of the spirit that we see in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that this is the hallmark of our lives, that we uh, live a Jesus-centered life is likely what we one of the ways that we refer to it, but this deeply formed, rich life um, that's... that. And recognizing that a part of that is to be that, you know, everything is spiritual. And so our, our, our spiritual lives need to be healthy and um, solid in order for our lives to be healthy and solid. And so we want that. That's, you know, kind of the spiritual equivalent of a clean room. Like, you know, when your, med, your bed is made and all the, the, the 
all the surfaces are cleared and everything like that, and you just walk in your room, you're like, ah, oh, this is, it just has this comforting, um, at peace feeling to it. In the same way, we want our spiritual lives to be like that, not, but, um, Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my Pentecostal background. But we often tend to think about, well, we need extravagant, extraordinary change in order to make that happen. We need, um, we need a miracle. We need a, a a miraculous encounter with God. We need a, um, you know, we need a mountaintop experience. Uh, with God in order for our spiritual lives to be fixed. You know, we need to take all the furniture out and we need new furniture in our spiritual lives. And I think actually that oftentimes what Jesus is inviting us to is not the extraordinary, but to the not the ordinary. Um, in our spiritual lives, we are often longing for major renovations when what, what we actually just need to do is do some very small things consistently over time. And that's what spiritual practices are. They aren't magical. In fact, they're quite mundane. Uh, last week in our spiritual practices potluck time, um, Stephen was sharing about how one of the spiritual practices he does, he would say, you know, the majority of the time, it almost doesn't even feel like anything's happening. But the fact that he consistently shows up day after day to do this practice is what actually is, changes him and transforms him. And so it's these small, mundane, ordinary things done consistently over time that have the power to transform us. And so instead of longing for the extraordinary, I want to talk a little bit about practically, well, how do we begin to integrate some of these spiritual practices, these small, ordinary things into our everyday lives in a way that we can do them consistently over time? Because we often say, okay, well, I want to do this big thing. And then when our motivation runs out or when our energy runs out, we drop it and before it's ever had time to really take root and make change in our lives. And so we want to be in this for the long haul. Um, this is a marathon, not a sprint. We have our whole lives in front of us. And so what I want to talk to us about some advice on how to successfully integrate spiritual practices into our lives. I'm going to be using a mix of scripture, uh, particularly the book of Hebrews, uh, my own history and experience with spiritual practices, um, some insights from Christian tradition, as well as uh, things from scientific study around how to build lasting, meaningful habits. So I've got six pieces of advice, and we'll start with the very first one. Piece of advice number one is that we need to focus on who you want to become, not what you're supposed to do. Let's focus on who you want to become, not what you're supposed to do. Our motivation matters, and having proper motivation is the only way to make real change. So if I tell my child they have to clean their room before they can use the internet, it will likely be effective at getting them to clean their room this time. But it doesn't really do anything to help them become the kind of person who keeps a tidy room on their own. Because the right actions done with the wrong motivation will not lead to long-lasting change. So if this motivation is to uh, get on the internet, um, then once that, once that need is met, once he does the chore to get on the internet, then... It's like, oh, okay. Um, then he's not motivated to keep cleaning the, their room. Um, so, for example, the, the church culture I grew up in put a lot of emphasis on praying and reading the Bible, which are both good spiritual practices. And as a kid and a teen, there would be sort of challenges where you would get rewards for doing spiritual practices, like memorizing scripture or keeping a log of your prayer time, uh, which 
you know, you definitely never exaggerated or lied about. Uh, you only reported truthfully how much time you were praying and how many days in the week you were pr- actually taking time to pray. But again, what this resulted in was good short-term results with no long-term growth. Sure, we were memorizing scripture. Sure, we were maybe praying or reading our Bible sometimes. But instead of forming me into a person who read the Bible or prayed every day, it mostly just formed me into a person who does things to make other people happy or to impress others to be successful. And I didn't learn any lasting habits or rhythms or practices about actually reading my Bible every day. Um, or, or doing a spiritual practice every day because my motivation was wrong. My motivation was to um, be successful at the challenge, not to be a person who um, it had nothing to do with my identity. It just had to do with outcomes. And so you might feel like that. You might feel like, okay, you know, this is a talk and a, a series on spiritual practice and think, well, you know, maybe I should be doing more spiritual practices. But if your motivation is guilt, obligation, or a sense of, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, um, that motivation is not going to last, and it won't bring about positive change in you. That's not a, that's not a long-term, lasting motivation. And that's why research shows that instead of focusing on outcomes, instead of focusing on what we want to have happen, it's better to focus on our identity, who we want to become. So instead of setting a goal to lose 20 pounds, it's better to set a goal to become a healthy person. If we set the goal for losing 20 pounds, then a couple things can happen. One is, well, we actually do lose the 20 pounds, and then what's our motivation once we've achieved that goal? Do we just keep increasing the number? Um, And so that's why you often see like a lot of people will hit a weight loss goal, and then in a relatively short order, um, they'll gain the weight back because all of their behavioral change was motivated by hitting a particular outcome. And once they hit that outcome, there wasn't the motivation for the behavior change, and so they slip back into the rhythms that they had before. Whereas if you set a goal that you want to be a healthy person and you begin to live in the mindset of, I am a healthy person, you will begin to do the things that a healthy person does. And over time, you will see results. So um, if you decided, okay, I'm going to be, do the things that a healthy person does, I'm going to you know, you know, implement some better eating habits, I'm going to exercise more, um, but all motivated by this goal of being a healthy person. Well, then it doesn't matter if you lose the weight or not, because again, one of the other downsides of setting an outcome-based goal of, okay, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Well, you start doing, you start changing your eating, you start, you start exercising. And after a few days and a few weeks, you don't see any progress towards losing any weight. And so then, you know, then that is demotivating because you're like, I'm, I'm busting my butt. I'm, my fridge is full of kale. Like I'm doing the things and I'm not seeing the results uh, that I was hoping for. And then we, we, we often give up. And when, again, actually the research is, okay, well, you do those things over time and it takes a while to actually begin to see the results. The motivation can't be results or outcome-based. The motivation needs to be, as soon as I, you know, if, if my motivation is I want to be a healthy person, then every time I make a healthy eating decision or every time I do a little bit of exercise, then I'm, then I'm succeeding. I'm actually becoming, I'm, I'm actually accomplishing my goal. I am acting like the type of person that I want to be. I'm living into that identity. And so already, um, regardless of results, I'm already achieving uh, the goal that I want to have. So in the same way, if, you know, we can apply this to our spiritual lives too, right? So in the same way, if we focus on saying, okay, on, on, on outcomes, like I want to be a person who reads uh, 
10 chapters of the Bible a day, or I want to be a person who spends 30 minutes in prayer in silence. Um, what happens when you miss a day, or you're only able to read one chapter instead of 10, or you only can spend a couple minutes in prayer? And what happens when the motivation runs out, when it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't really feel like doing that today. That's, you know, and it's not even a very compelling goal when you say it out loud, like, oh, I want to be a person who, you know, prays for 30 minutes a day. You know, what's the why? As Simon, Simon Sinek says, you know, you have to start with the why. And outcomes are what-based. Okay, that's what I want to do. Um, identity, that's why-based. That's, that, that's, that's a real motivation. And so I think as, Jesus, as, as people um, in a spiritual community centered around Jesus, I think, you know, and a great identity for us to lean into and move towards is to say, what is to say, I want to be like Jesus. When we look at Jesus' life, we find beautiful examples of his care for other people, his sense of peace in difficult circumstances, his pursuit of justice, his willingness to serve, to break down barriers, his lack of materialism, his resistance to worry, his deep sense of being loved by God, and his love even of his enemies. And that's beautiful and compelling identity for us to aspire to. And I think that that sort of, wow, yeah, to be like Jesus, that is a life. That's the, that's the type of person I would, hope, I, I, I would hope to be. And I would love for my life to look like that. And so that provides much better motivation than guilt or obligation. Since you do, or just even a sense of like, well, these are the things that I'm supposed to do, so I need to do them. And so we need to focus in on, um, focus in on, not what we want to do, but who we want to become. And so we want to become like Jesus. And if that's our motivator, if that, if that is the identity that we want to take on, then we'll begin to think about who Jesus was, what he did, and how we can be like him, which we'll get to in a second. But we think about how Romans 12 encourages, encourages us to do this. In Romans 12, it says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. The right motivation having an identity that we are wanting to be a part of fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what will give us a shot of adrenaline. That's what will keep us motivated to do the work necessary to make the, the small, meaningful changes consistently over time that will lead to transformative change and help us to have the spiritual life, the Jesus-centered, deeply formed, rich life that we long for. So that's piece of advice number one, is to focus on who you want to become, not what you're supposed to do. All right, now we're going to jump into the recording from yesterday, picking up a piece of advice number two. All right, piece of advice number two. So we want to live into an identity, not an outcome. We want to live like we're already who we want to become. So, for example, um, a friend of mine, Andrea, she has a podcast. She's a, she's a mindset coach. And she was talking about her experience with running. And how she never thought of herself as a runner. Um, she had bad experiences running as a kid in, in university. And so she, uh, when she got into adulthood, she just said, like, I'm not a runner. I'm not a person who runs. And then one day a friend talked her into signing up for 
a mar- uh, for like a, a 10K marathon. And she's like, well, I guess I better get running because like I'm a runner now because I'm going to actually have to run in this thing. And so she found for her, and the research backs this up, that what was helpful was to actually like, yeah, you get a running app and yeah, you actually begin to like do some running. But she actually went out and she bought all the running gear. She bought shoes, she bought all the stuff because then when she put it on, she's like, I'm a runner because I have all the things that runners have. And then she began to actually run. And by actually run, she ran for a minute. But she ran, and so she's like, I'm a runner. I ran for a whole minute today. That's good. And tomorrow I'll run for a few more. But what's helpful is this idea of picturing yourself as the thing that you want to become and then beginning to behave and act and live in the way like you're already that person that you want to become. So if we want to live like Jesus, it's helpful for us to be like, well, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus act and begin to act that way? Even if we would say, well, I'm certainly never going to be as good as Jesus. Right. But in the attempt, that's it. In the same way that you can be like, I'm a runner, even though like, you know, that there's like runners who run, I have a friend who runs 50 miles, these 50 mile marathon things. And I'm like, you're insane. But also like I run sometimes and I'm like, I guess I'm a runner too. And so when we look at like, what, what did Jesus do? And we think about we think about Jesus and we think about how he loved his enemies and we, he did all these extraordinary things and we say, I don't know if I can ever be like Jesus in that way. But Jesus, even as, as God himself in human form, didn't just do those things. Jesus actually practiced and prepared in the same way that to get up to a 10K, you have to start working your way up. Jesus actually had spiritual practices in his life, his life that helped him to, become, to, to live out um, this life free of materialism, free of worry, knowing he's deeply loved by God. And so Jesus, in Scripture, talks all the time about how he would go away to pray. He would spend times of prayer. And there would be other times where he would fast, and he would take Sabbath, and he would spend time in silence Jesus, of course, was an observant Jew, and so he would follow the festivals of his day, uh, the seasonal markers, and he would participate in synagogue. And Jesus would also even just use everyday activities with intention. And he would, so things like, there's the time where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And through, and that was normally just a, a thing that a servant did, and nobody ever thought twice about it, but Jesus like, actually with my heart, with my intention, I'm going to give this practice meaning. And it's going to have symbolism. And it's going to say something. And that's a spiritual practice. In the same way that Jesus breaks the bread and the cup. And he says, this is going to have meaning too. Because, and, and so these are spiritual practices that Jesus did and throughout his life. And so in the same way, we can say, okay, oh, we can look at the life of Jesus. And we can say, I could never be like Jesus I can't love people the way he does. I can't, I can't do miracles. I, can't, I, I don't know if I could ever be at that level. And yet we look, we look further into Jesus' life and we see, oh, Jesus was doing these everyday, simple, small spiritual practices as well. And it, I would deeply suspect that it was those practices that over time allowed him to come to the place. It was an example for us of how over time you can come to the place of like, maybe I can't love my enemies, but if I do this practice over and over again, maybe I'll get to a place where I can. So last week, April was led us through a loving kindness meditation in which she invited us to pray a blessing over people that came to our minds. 
And as you do it, she was like, start by thinking about your friends and family. And then over time, as you expand the circle. And it's pretty amazing how quickly you run out of friends and family and you move on to people that you're like ambivalent about. And then you're on to like people that you're like, oh, I'm only thinking of people I don't like anymore. And you're praying a blessing for them. And that practice over time would begin to help you to be like, okay, maybe I can't love that person right now. But if I, as I pray a blessing for them, if I do that day after day after day, then when I'm in a place where I'm actually in conflict with them, I'm going to lean towards wishing them well and bringing, and bringing a peaceful resolution to that situation because I've been doing this practice. And so we can look to Jesus that we need to begin to do the things of the identity that we want to already become. So we begin to do the things that Jesus did, even if we're like, I'm not nearly as good as Jesus, but we begin to do the things that Jesus did. Advice number three, um, when it comes to spiritual practices, take smaller steps. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, says that we should make new habits as easy as possible, as frictionless as possible. In fact, he says that when you start a new habit, it shouldn't take you any more than two minutes. If it's taking two minutes, it's too long, you'll probably quit it. So, for example, he says, if you want to become a person who walks 10,000 steps or adds that into your, into your routine, he says, to just every day when you get home, the, the first day you get home, walk 50 steps, 50 intentional steps. And you're like, 50 steps, that takes like 30 seconds. It shouldn't take me that long. Maybe a minute. I'm going to walk, 30, I'm going to walk 50 steps. And you're like, bang, I got it done. On the track to success. He says, the next day, then add 50 more. So you walk 100. And then 50 more and 50 more. And you just keep doing that. And within a couple months, you're up to like 10,000 steps. And all you've ever done has been like, I'm walking 50 more steps than I walked yesterday. And it only adds another 30 to 60 seconds to my day. And over time, you get there. But it's that small win of if you said, okay, from now on, I'm going to walk 10,000 steps every day, but I, we haven't been walking any steps. Well, 10,000 is a big goal. And your energy and excitement can get you there for a period of time, but then you miss a day and you fail and you get behind. He says, no, no, it's much better to be like small steps and to succeed at small steps and just stack those up day after day after day. And then that becomes a habit. So for example, if, instead of saying like, oh, I need to spend 30 minutes sitting in prayerful silence tomorrow, if you don't do that at all. Maybe you do, but if you don't, if you said, okay, I'm going to add that in. I'm going to spend 30 minutes. Have you tried sitting in silence for 30 minutes? It feels a lot longer than 30 minutes. So what if you started with 30 seconds? What if you said, tomorrow I'm going to spend half a minute in just silent meditation with God? That's doable. And then you add another 30 seconds the next day, and 30 seconds the next day, and over time, you build yourself up, and then you may eventually get to 30 minutes. But what you've done is you've set yourself up where, like, I know I can do this, and you set up yourself up for success, and by the time you're up to 30 minutes, you've developed a habit of, oh, I, this has become a part of my life. If you're like me, you always set really audacious goals for yourself of, like, I want to completely change my life. I want to renovate my room. I want to I get a new bed. I want to do the whole thing. And sometimes we're just like, I just need to create really small, simple wins and, and, and count those as wins for myself. I'm going to do this thing, and that's more than I did yesterday, and I'm going to celebrate that. And when it comes to prayer, too, I, I mean, if you're 
if you want an easy win too, um, Anne Lamott says she has two prayers that she prays. She's an author. And she says her two prayers are, help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm pretty sure that you could fit into your day tomorrow a help me, help me, help me prayer and a thank you, thank you, thank you prayer. And maybe you can throw in some couple specifics of things you need help with and things you're thankful for. And those probably combined will take you about, you know, a minute in your day. And you could fit that in tomorrow or today if you'd like to. So take smaller steps. Um, the great thing about spiritual practices and spiritual formation is you have a whole lifetime to be formed in the identity of Jesus. You don't have to get it all done tomorrow. So take small steps and celebrate that. All right, number four, use activities you already do daily as cues for spiritual practice. The great example of this is how many people pray at mealtimes? Like you, you pray over your food. Lots of people do. And that is, what, why do you pray at mealtimes? Why, why do you remember to pray at mealtimes? Because you sit at the table and the food's there and you're like, oh, I should pray. The meal itself is the cue that, that you should pray. And there are, I would, I would venture, many other things in your life that you could turn into a cue to pray or to do a spiritual practice. You could, you know, you have to brush your teeth for, I don't know, my dentist tells me like two minutes. Well, what if it is, that you, what, if you, what if you spent the two minutes while you're brushing your teeth, which is basically a mindless activity, what if you spent that time praying? Every time you're brushing your teeth, you're like, I'm going to pray. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to blessings on my friends, blessings on my enemies. All right, we're done. But every time you take out your toothbrush, you're like, oh, yes. Um, there are lots of people who put their Bible or a journal next to their, their bed on their nightstand. They keep it there so that when they get into bed at night, it's a cue of, oh, I'm going to spend a couple minutes doing this activity. It's right there. It's in front of me. But the getting into bed, the, and then the next thing I do is I open up the Bible or I open up a journal. Maybe you're, you're not a nighttime person. Maybe you're a morning person. And so maybe you put, you know, maybe you, you put uh, your Bible next to your, your coffee maker or something like that. And you say, oh, right, I'm making my coffee and I'm going to read a, ver a few verses today. But if you pair your spiritual practice with something you're already doing, um, that helps it helps you remember to do it. So Sarah talked last week about how she would take lunchtime in her car and that was always a cue to her to um, practice a, a gratitude meditation. Jenny talked in the first week about how um, she would do Advent in the bathroom for a season. Um, after having a, a baby. Uh, because the, going to the bathroom was a cue of, okay, well, now I have time to do this Advent reading and this Advent devotional. And so the bathroom became the cue for the devotional. For me, it's when I go for a walk with my dog, I'm on the trail, okay, that's my cue of I'm going to spend some time in prayer right now. But just think creatively about what you can pair your spiritual practice with that serves as a daily reminder of, oh, when I do this thing, that reminds me I should pray. Or that reminds me, I should read this. Or that reminds me of, okay, I'm going to play this podcast now. Or whatever, your, you know, or whatever spiritual practice it is that you want to do. Um, seasons work like that too. We're going to get into Advent in a second. Christmas serves as a reminder of, oh, I need to remember the story of Jesus coming to earth. I need to, to reconnect with that. My family has a tradition that Christmas morning you always read Luke chapter 2. The, getting, the gathering around the tree is a cue to read the Christmas story. That's a one-off, but it, it's amazing. It's, it's a tradition, which is like just a habit that you just do annually, not every day. Number five, find what works for you. Um, if your goal was to be a person who, who, 
who is a healthy person, um, there are a ton of ways that you can exercise to get healthy. There is no one right way to exercise to get healthy. You could run, you could lift weights, you could do push-ups, you could do sit-ups, you could do yoga. There's all sorts of different things you could do. All of them are good because each one of them helps you get towards the goal of that healthy identity. In the same way, if we want our identity to be like, I want to be like Jesus, then there is not just one way, one spiritual practice or one method by which we can do that. There's a whole bunch. And so you can feel free to find what works for you. I mean, there are times where we have to get outside our comfort zone, but recognize that we are all wired in different ways. So last week we had a potluck of spiritual practices and we heard a variety of different ways that people do that. You don't need to do all of them. What if you did one of them? Jenny shared a book uh, in the first week where, there, you know, she has like 79 spiritual practices in this book. There's just so many. You could Google spiritual practices and, and find hundreds of them. The point is, is that you need to find the ones that work for you. So try them. Just say, hey, I'm going to try this one out. And if that works for me, great. If it, if it helps me move towards becoming like Jesus, then that's really great. And if it's not coming easily or helpful, then I'm going to try a different one because there's lots more of those to find. So find things that help you, um, but don't feel like, you, like there's a specific thing that you have to do. Find the spiritual practices that work best for you. And lastly, piece of advice number six is that when it comes to being formed in the image of Jesus and spiritual practices, together is better. A friend of mine posted today, or posted this weekend, about um, he was out running at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. And his post was about the fact that there, the only reason he was out running at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning, he's like, if it was up to me, I'd be in bed right now. But he's like, I wanted to become the type of person who runs regularly, including at 7 a.m. on Saturdays. But I knew I couldn't do that on my own. So a year ago, he started a running club where he invited other people and they would meet up every day and, or they would meet up on certain days and they would run together. And so now, a year later, on a cold November Saturday morning when he doesn't want to get up at 7 a.m. to go for a run, he gets up at 7 a.m. to go for a run. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of other people that are going for a run with him. And he's like, I'm going to keep doing this thing because we're in this together. Plus, like there's the, I started this club, I should probably be there sort of <laughs> obligation. But that's the thing. And so you're like, hey, if I want to do this, it's way easier if I'm doing it together. There's other people who support me. I have another friend who's doing um, intermittent fasting for all of December, and he's just created a WhatsApp group where everybody, other people can join in. They're encouraging each other. And it's a way to keep, yes, accountability, but also just to keep encouragement because it's, no, it's easier to do stuff t uh, together than alone. So if there's a spiritual practice you want to do, you have friends, you know people, and it's very easy to reach out and say, like, hey, would you want to do this alongside me? How, how could we do this together? Are there other people who would like to do this with me? And as Romans, uh, sorry, as Hebrews 10 says, I, lo I love this, right? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together or supporting one another or checking each other, as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
So you don't have to, this journey, we can often think of a spiritual journey as something that we have to do alone, and we have to, like, drag ourselves there. But it's actually easier to do in community. Coming to church is a thing that we do. Home church, small groups, just friends. Um, support one another. Invite other people to, to walk alongside you as you go on a journey of moving towards Jesus and becoming like Jesus through small, simple acts done consistently over time. So if we focus on Jesus and begin to do the things that he did, do it, start small, build it up, over time we will find that results will come. And I love what it says in Galatians 5 in the message, um, how it describes what a life dedicated, a deeply formed life centered around Jesus with the, with the goal, the motivation of wanting to be like Jesus, what that looks like. Galatians 5, 23 says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That's what a deeply formed, Jesus-centered life can look and feel like, which sounds wonderful and probably sounds a little bit like when your room is all clean and your bed is made and everything is like, all the surfaces are, and you're like, ah, it's just spacious and it's relaxing and it's welcoming and it feels like home. And so I'd encourage us to keep that in mind, to say, hey, Jesus, as I want to become like you, I'm going to try a bunch of things some of them will work, some of them won't. I will fail. I'll fall behind. But Jesus, I want to keep my eyes fixed on you. And I trust that as I do that, day after day, and even when I miss a day or two or three or a week or a month, I can always just come back. Jesus, I'm just going to keep moving towards you. And I know that as I do that, your spirit begins to work in me. And it's not just my willpower. It's not just the power of habits. It's not just science or like all these things. Actually, there's something that happens in my spirit, God, as I want to become like Jesus and I do these practices that changes me and I begin to see these results and I begin to live out this deeply formed, rich life where we find ourselves not forcing our way but in alignment, in the flow of the world around us. And so that brings us to the conclusion of our service, which we're going to end with Advent. Because of Advent is a wonderful spiritual practice. Now, Jesus didn't celebrate Advent. He invented it. So, um, but it is an event on the calendar that serves as a cue. We come to the season of Advent, and it says, oh, yes, it's Advent. That means I should be thinking about hope, joy, love, peace. And it invites us um, to think about, oh yes, what, what, is that? What, what is Advent? Advent is about waiting. It's about this longing, this anticipation for God to step into the world and to make things right. It 
in many ways, Advent is the living out, the entering into Jesus' prayer and the Lord's prayer that he invites us to pray of, you know, your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Advent is like, yes, Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, we long for that. Please step in, make things right. And that aligns us with the heart of God that wants to restore and redeem all things. So Advent invites us into that. It's a, it's a practice that align, makes us more like Jesus because it aligns us with his heart. And so, of course, Christmas itself serves as the cue, and you can participate in Advent to the um, extent, as big or as small as you want to. So each Sunday we're going to be lighting a candle and reflecting on the different themes of Advent. Um, our denomination, Being Christ, has an Advent guide that you can use daily <clears throat> if you want to um, interface with Advent daily. And so it's digital. Um, you can find it online on uh, the Being Christ website, or we have a handful of printed copies at the table at the very back. And you can grab one on your way out today if you're like, oh, that would be helpful. Also, there are about approximately 1.872 billion Advent guides available on the internet as well. If you would like to Google that, um, there's many of them. If you're like, oh, this one's not doing it for me, there are many, 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 many more Advent guides that you can find. Um, also, you can light candles at home. Um, there's the traditional colored candles. You can light tea lights. It really doesn't matter. Um, it's about your heart posture, not the correctness of the activity itself. Tradition, as always, when it comes to Advent, serves as a guide, but not a rule book. It's an invitation to th align ourselves with the heart of Jesus, but to not be stuck up on, am I doing it right? It's an invitation to participate. I love what Barbara Brown Taylor says, where she says, most ordinary daily activities, um, that to her spiritual practices are ordinary daily activities done with the most exquisite attention. It's our act of giving our heart, of giving our attention. So the lighting of a candle, even if it's just one regular candle in your house, can be a way of participating in Advent, of saying, I've lit this candle. Now I'm going to think about and pray about, Jesus, come, help me, help me, help me. Thank you. The world needs you. Come. How can I be your hands and feet? And just that invitation. And so it's just, the Christmas season is going to come. It is, it is here. It's going to happen you're going to buy presents. You're going to do all the things. And the question is, are you going to pay attention? Are you going to, are you going to give it the most exquisite attention, as Barbara Brown Taylor says, to enter into the season? And so Advent is an invitation to do that, to say, oh, yes, there's a meaning here. There's a story here. God with us. God coming to earth. Oh, yeah, there's something there. And if I pay attention to that, hmm, something might happen in my heart. So I've invited... Um, Brian and Nancy to lead us in a Christmas carol and then um, the kids may come in and join us and then we're going to light the Advent candle uh, with a short reflection on hope but let's stand together and let's sing if you're able to sing this song together and then I'll come and close from 
You may be seated. Heather, I'm going to invite you up, and we're going to light the hope candle together. Then I'll do a reading. You can hold that. We practiced this earlier, and we found it worked better if I lit the flame and Heather held the candle. All right. Thank you, Heather. We come together amid a busy season to take a breath, to breathe in together the life that God gives us, to listen to the beat of God's heart and the blessings and lessons this season brings to us. Each week of Advent, we light this Advent wreath. With its light comes our prayers and our stories. The candle of this first week of Advent is a candle of hope. Today, the flame of this candle reminds us of the hope that came to this world when Jesus was born and his presence with us. Jesus said, I came so that everyone would have life in all its fullness. Let's pause for a moment to consider the hope that Jesus has given us. When have you experienced the gift of hope? When have you experienced God's rescue in your life or the lives of the people around you in the big things or the small? Let's take a moment to reflect together. We thank you, Jesus, that you want to bring fullness and hope into every life. We thank you for the hope that you have brought to us. We bring to you now prayers of hope for the people and places on our hearts this afternoon. Trusting in your powerful name. Amen. Amen.